0: Yes, we've got a munificence of manuscripts for you today, from supernatural mystery to sci fi by way of crime fiction. I'm your host, Literary Agent Peter Cox. Uh, let's meet this week's guests. <laughs> He left school without any qualifications to work in a car factory Age 40. He went to uni and now he's no, well, there's no stopping him at all. Welcome back crime writer Jack Byrne. And she's the voice that's Hello. narrated hundreds of manuscripts here on Pop-Ups and she's a children's author too. Welcome back, Ali Gardner. Thank you. Now, thank, thank you both. Thank you both. We've overcome the technical gods. We're here live and you're with us too. What could be nicer? Um, i tell you what might be nicer. Try this.
1: John and I have written a book.
2: No, you haven't. Eh, I wrote it for you. Yeah, but with a little help from us. It's a fantasy noir mashup. A story about Grandolph Smith, a disgraced actor, now owner of the Evil Arms pub.
1: Grandolph has been chosen to save humanity from the evil King Flardas.
2: Flardas has found the Farce Hole, a portal in the space time continuum through which he'll launch an invasion.
1: He has sent barbage, a dumpster, a shapeshitter. Oh, sorry, I mean shapeshifter <coughs> to pave the way and build an army.
2: Only Grandalf and his friends can stop the invasion. A drunken hologram is among them.
1: Together they go on a quest to save humanity. Time is running out.
2: Join me, John.
1: And me, B.
2: Every week when we bring you a new chapter.
1: And of course we have lots to say about it.
2: Green cows don't fly. A new way of writing and listening to books. They've told me, you can find
3: this pair of idiots on all major podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify.
0: Yeah, so that is the answer that to the question that uh, thousands of people, slight exaggeration, have been asking me: though. what has happened to Johnny and Barbara? That's what's happened to them. I haven't listened to it yet, but I, it sounds insanely funny, insanely satirical, and frankly, maybe just insane. I'm definitely going to give it a go. Uh, now, let's see what's been happening on the monthly leaderboard. Let's remember, of course, last week's show was the first of the month. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for, uh, last, uh, last week was the first show uh, This is how the leaderboard looks 71 That's the magic number You've got to remember this show 71 is the number Every submission today Will be looking to beat James Forbes Smith's Middle grade murder mystery We all loved it And it had a hot air balloon too What's not to like? Hey should we get stuck in? Shall we? Shall we look at our first submission? Here we go It's called The Haunted Shore now, I like that title. I don't know what it is, but I just like it. It's a Supernatural Mystery. It's by S.R. Durham, and you've got a QR code there too, so go off and scan that and see where S.R. wants you to go to. While I read you S.R.'s blurb, when troubled medium Mercy Chapman is visited by the spirit of a murdered girl, she drops everything to follow the few clears available and discover the girl's identity, as well as her killer. The trail leads Mercy to an eerie off-season lake district and potentially into the jaws of a dangerous conspiracy. The novel's a supernatural mystery with a quirky and complex protagonist that's best described as Eleanor Oliphant meets The Sixth Sense. The first in a Mercy Chapman series of novels. Well, I like that. That appeals first in the series like that. Let me tell you about Sr. Um, I'm a freelance copywriter, says Sr. Uh, though I previously trained and worked as a journalist, after growing frustrated with my two previous novels dying on the slush pile, I've taken a self-publishing course—just what Jack and I were talking about before, before the show, actually—and begun putting my work out that way. I launched my first novel, *Prey*, as Ey on Amazon last month to an encouraging run of sales and I'm due to release my second surrogate in spring 2022. Although my two aforementioned books are very dark in tone um, and can be categorised as horror thriller and folk horror, respectively, I've chosen to submit The Haunted Shore to you as I believe it has a lot more commercial appeal, particularly given its eccentric and likeable protagonist, somewhat lighter tone and series potential. Very interesting indeed. Let's give it the best possible reading, shall we? with barbara
1: the haunted shore by s r durham read by barbara one mercy had gotten used to living alone she knew every creak and whisper that her old tumble down cottage could make every hoot and shriek of the night creatures that roamed around outside it it was a familiar space in a familiar village her quiet little corner of the English countryside, it was this comfort and seclusion that gave her peace, but it also meant that she was all the more unprepared when something out of the ordinary occurred, and it didn't get much more out of the ordinary than being woken in the small hours by a faint sound of sobbing from the other side of her bedroom. Mercy struggled to identify the source at first, tried to shake it off as the echoes from an unremembered dream or the death throes of a towel swaddled boiler on the other side of the wall but as she stirred her eyes flickering open as she pushed herself away from the mattress the shuddering noise quickly revealed itself for what it was she scanned the near dark from right to left away from the moonlight slicing through her curtains and into the far corner of the room where an old rocking chair sat still her cardigan still draped over one arm. ''Hello?'' she said, slightly self-conscious. No reply came, but the faint crying persisted. Just as she was about to push the covers away and stand, she heard a gentle shuffle that drew her eye to the shadows by the closed bedroom door. A pale figure emerged, hands clasped to its heaving chest and strands of wet, blonde hair dangling in front of its eyes. Mercy instinctively let out the shrill scream and shot backwards, her shoulders thunking against the thick wooden headboard. It was a girl, a few years younger than Mercy, perhaps in her early twenties, and she looked equally scared, shivering in a short, white cocktail dress and lace-up stiletto heels. Mercy noticed droplets of water slowly beading down the hem of her dress and pattering onto the carpet, only realising then that the girl was sodden from head to toe. There was a crushing intensity in her clear green eyes that seemed to pin Mercy in place. I'm sorry, the girl said, doing her best to sniff her tears away. I'm so sorry. It's okay, it's okay, Mercy said as much to herself as to the girl. It's fine. Mercy raked at the mess of brown curls that had fallen over her eyes as she bumped into the headboard, tucking what she could behind her ears in an attempt to feign some kind of composure. Your Mercy? the girl said. Mercy's heart was thundering in her chest, blood surging through her veins like white water being forced through a narrow canyon. She swallowed and licked her lips, trying to moisten them enough to speak, but it was no use. She just nodded, slow and stupid, and hoped the girl wouldn't come any closer. I need your help, the girl said. Please. They said to come and find you, that you were the one, that you could help me. Okay? Mercy said, slowly, coming to understand what she was seeing. She untangled herself from the covers and stood so that the wide bed frame was between her and the uninvited guest. It's okay. You're okay now. What's your name? The girl's crying stalled for a second in apparent surprise. I don't... I can't remember. I'm sorry. It's okay. That's fine. It's normal. Try not to worry. You'll remember. You will. I promise. Now, what I need you to do is just... I'm going to try and ask you some other questions, okay? Because I don't know how long you'll be here. Is that all right? Be here? What do you mean? What's going to happen to me? The girl was visibly panicked as her imagination went into overdrive. Nothing, Mercy said, realizing the mistake her half-asleep mind had made. For now, the girl was a light bulb flickering on after who knows how long in the darkness. Her memories would return in time, and she would have more control over how and when she manifested. But, in Mercy's experience, this had all the hallmarks of being nothing more than a fly-in visit.
0: And straight to the genius room, where they've been very busy commenting on that and martin says she must be nice with that name he likes that name he says using a name like mercy helps make us root for her i think that's probably true actually um terry finds it a bit melodramatic in places johnny's pretty pretty keen on it andy would like to have been in the action of this right from the start but there's some nice writing he says nice writing. so generally quite positive reaction there i think let's hear from our special guest jack what did what did you think
4: uh overall i liked it you know what normally happens is uh when it's being read out if i
0: whoops we lost you jack i it might be me actually it might well be me actually let me see
4: uh I'm still here ali yeah can yeah you hear no, i'm sorry
0: yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it's great carry on yeah carry on
4: really okay yeah all right so I think the writing is good nothing tripped up in the writing if you know what i mean sometimes you know immediately you hear it's over flowery over wordy or you know the vocabulary just doesn't fit it's too complicated but that was smooth it had a good flow to it so for that i thought it was good the things that made me kind of i don't know just think twice It's a ghost. I'm sure it's a ghost. It was set up as a mystery supernatural. But I didn't get the shock horror when the ghost appeared. And, you know, that came later. The blood surging through her veins and so on was actually after the appearance of the ghost. And it was a bit like, well, you know, so it was missing. It was a dramatic scene, but I didn't get the sense of drama from the beginning. One of the points, I think, you know, again, I think it was done well, but. The, I, I think the guy or the person in the genius uh, group was correct when they said I think it'd be better to start with the action rather than the first paragraph of the exposition and the exposition didn't really tell us who the person was so much I thought I'm still not sure who that is but he, he was right to say given the point of view and name mercy means we can immediately identify with it just yeah. my last point on this on this uh, contribution was uh, we got the site, we didn't, we got some sound, but we I, we didn't get a visceral connection with the scene. Yeah. The smell, the taste, the heat. You know, did it turn cold when the apparition appeared? You know, if she was wet. Was there a taste yeah. of salt in the air from seawater? Yeah. You know, those kind of things can just add to the kind of drama. I think it's a very good dramatic scene. It just needs that little bit of extra yeah. punch. I think. I think you
0: put your finger on it. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. I, I want to feel that. I want to be more excited. I want to feel feel about the atmosphere. Um, and as you say, yeah, a visceral feeling would be great, um, to, uh, it may be just me. Maybe I've just got YA on the brain, but it's got a YA feel to to it, I think. I, I don't know what, what you think, Ali.
5: Um, yes, I, yes, I guess so. Um, I, I think it could kind of go either way as it were, um, in terms of. Very quickly immersed in the story, um, had a good idea of of where the place was, etc. However, it felt very incongruous. It was a terrifying scene. We had certain things which diluted it, like she's trying to feign composure. And you think, well, hang on a minute, we're bang in the middle of an extremely terrifying (laughs) scene. Why is she trying to feign composure? Um, And I think it it felt very incongruous until we eventually got to the fact that she clearly had some connection with ghosts. She wasn't particularly terrified by a ghost being Mm. in her room you know she she understood this and i think it would have been a lot easier to have that early on to understood mm. that she was you know had some connection so it could have still been a terrifying scene but we might have felt it less incongruous that she's you know trying to pull herself together and and it just didn't feel as frightening as it should i yeah. did also wonder whether it should have been written in first person i think that would have drawn um, you in that's a lot quicker yeah. um yeah. because you know yeah. I'm sitting there and I have this ghost in front of yeah. me and I think it would have brought it closer yeah. basically yeah. Um, so I think that would would perhaps yeah. have, have been helpful um, so yeah. but yeah I enjoyed
0: it I think it basically sounds pretty commercial actually um yeah. a medium sort of investigating um know murders um, supernatural murder mysteries sounds well, mm. sounds like a yeah. go to me um Ali. Jack, you got to press your voting buttons, please. Do, do your voting now. Meanwhile, we'll see um, what the numbers are looking like so far. It's only 17, but remember, Jack and Ali haven't actually registered their vote yet. Neither have I. Oh, dear. There's me chiding our guests, and I haven't even done it myself. <laughs> Talk about hypocrisy. <laughs> Jeez, there we go. I've just done mine. They'll, they'll come in at any moment now. Um, oh, yeah, nicely. And ticking up very nicely, SR. You got a 67, I think, and that could... Go up or down a bit more, uh, depending on uh, how the Genius Room finally votes. I, I it think vote it carrots. is very
4: commercial, like you said, mm. though.
0: It's got a feel to it, hasn't it? Yeah. Why? Well, I, I say, that's a pretty good start for the show, I think. Let's see uh, where we can go next, shall we? That's where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> Two promos to the
2: price of one.
1: John and I have written a book.
2: <laughs> no, you haven't. A, I wrote it. For you. Yeah, but with a little help from us.
1: It's a fantasy noir mashup.
2: A story about Grandolf Smith, a disgraced actor, now owner of the Evil Arms pub.
1: Grandolf has been chosen to save humanity from the evil king Flardas.
2: Flardas has found a hole, a portal in the space-time continuum through which he'll launch an invasion.
1: He has sent Barbage, a dumpster, a shapeshitter. Oh, sorry, I mean shape to pave the way and build an army.
2: Only Grandalf and his friends can stop the invasion. A drunken hologram is among them.
1: Together they go on a quest to save humanity.
2: Time is running out. Join me, John.
1: And me, B.
2: Every week when we bring you a new chapter.
1: And of course we have lots to say about
2: it. Green cows don't fly. A new way of writing and listening to books.
3: They've told me you can find this pair of idiots on all major podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify.
0: Oh, there we go. I didn't expect that. But who knows? I mean, the whole show is completely unexpected. I have no idea what's going to happen when I press a button. (laughs) But I think we're going to see the second submission now. Yes, here we go. It's literary fiction. It's from Jeff. There's a familiar name, actually. I think we've heard from Jeff before. And it's called... I like this title. It's called When the Moon Was White... This is Jeff's blurb. In 1967, Samuel Thwaite moves to Goodmuse, a laid-back town known for its strikingly bright moon. He persuades the residents to let him set up the world's first moon centre to celebrate the town and link it to the space age. The town thrives, but the moon centre becomes something else for Thwaite, a cover for his obsession to paint the moon so it's no longer white hmm let me tell you about jeff i ha- have submitted my opening to litopia before two poppers before i thought so jeff uh but i've changed the opening and i'm submitting again which is absolutely fine um all, all i would say is uh, leave it about three months leave it leave it at least three months before you resubmit because uh, that allows you know sufficient time to, to go by i was born in california i've lived in london since 1990 with my south african wife i've self-published one novel bachelor butterflies uh, self-publishing is the obviously the theme du jour of which the sunday times wrote and that's very good to get a self-published novel reviewed by the Sunday Times well done a strangely compelling narrative and John John Hegley wrote a very strong atmosphere of anomie but with a dash of hope hmm. uh, I've also self-published 2 kindle only books of creative nonfiction the Isla Vista bank burning story that's an interesting title too and teaching Shakespeare to hairdressers <laughs> teaching Shakespeare to hairdressers an American teacher in London that's brilliant and what's going to be even more brilliant as this reading by Bev
6: When the Moon Was White by Jeff Probst, read by Bev Early Spring nineteen sixty five. Good Muse one thousand six hundred and forty three yards. The train trundled through another endless thicket of trees before emerging again into the open. Sam saw a small brown tourist sign staked to the ground. Welcome to Good Muse. Below the words was a sketch of a crescent moon above a white church, surrounded by scaffolding. Sam disembarked and walked along Goodmew's Way, checking his watch every couple of minutes, quickly getting past a place called Johnny's, with the Supreme's baby love coming from inside. A restaurant, Anodyne, had its slogan on the door, safe food for the careful at heart and stomach. Such malarkey, Sam said to himself. He recalled snarling at the TV a few nights before, feeling afterwards that the Decade of the Moon programme, which usually focused on America's space race, had wasted his time by featuring this place, just because its residents felt the moon here was unusually bright. But in the end he had decided to recce it. It looked like it was probably small enough, naive enough, to be the sort of place he could put his stamp on. And South Dakota wasn't all that far away. Sam went up and down a few side streets, passing a furniture shop, one nightstand. It had a one on it and the street name, Good Morning. How far up its own backside can a place be, he thought. He paused at the clock tower just outside the station. A poem, framed in orange wood and protected by glass, was affixed to the bricks at reading height. When the moon comes over Brooklyn on time with the borough clock, tis the same that saw Palmyra and the walls of Antioch. Natalia Crane. Give me a break. He looked up at the clock. Instead of numbers, there were letters, a G for the one, the letter O for the two, and a dot for the three, the same pattern going around until Goodmuse was spelt out. The trees blurred as the train picked up speed. At least it had only taken half a morning. He hadn't grasped the fact from the programme that Goodmuse might be one of those phony-feeling places that seem to be cropping up these days. Places with cool clothes, as they put it, and trendy shops, even turning some into so-called community spaces. These towns trumpeted how different they were to the mainstream, but Sam had found in his scouting about that they were much more like each other than different to anything. He'd take the mainstream any day. A train whistle roused him, and he woke with an image of good muse lodged in his mind. He wouldn't have admitted it to anyone, but the closest he could get to a picture of it was that of an innocent town nestled below a downy fuzz of green in a virgin valley, offering itself to him. Could he do what he wanted with it? It clicked into place. It was the decade of the moon.
7: So,
0: I'm um, just uh, actually. Before we hear from Ali, let's look at the genius room, which is very important. Um, I think Andy said there's a sort of northern exposure feel to this. I think there is too. Yeah, it's a nicely strange feel. I like that. I'm definitely setting setting a um, a scene there. Uh, a nice atmosphere. One or two people. I don't know if I can find them um, quickly. Um, Have said I'm not sure about the blurb the resolution the blurb painting the moon Who's is that is that actually a big going to be a big deal or not? I don't know whether you can make it a big deal or not Jeff, but uh, let's go back to Ali and see what her reaction is
5: Um, I, I felt it was a very mundane start I mean, we've got a bloke on a train going to somewhere We don't know where it is and so your anchor at the beginning is dull it took an awful lot of time before something strange and quirky happened that made you sort of prick up your ears. Um, I didn't really have any idea who the main character was. You know, I, I could give you slight information. And I th- about the only thing that actually gave any indication of his character was that, that poem. And then it said something about, uh, give me a break. So, you know, you could then read a little impatience in his, you know, to the tweeness. But really, that was about the only thing that actually gave character away at all. There's an awful lot of we, the stuff we didn't need. We had, I think, two television program names. We had the name Dine of the cafe. We had, it was just a whole pile of stuff we simply didn't need that was really right.
4: clogging right. everything up. Right. Yep. And,
5: and perhaps some dialogue. If you'd had this conversation, maybe the bloke on a train, well, I'm going to visit this really strange place, you know, then perhaps. But, you know, certainly to, to make it this mundane to start with, this little fun stuff happening, I, I wasn't engaged.
0: You did engage. You didn't. You did. You pick up the quirky vibe, and is I mean, there's a. I think there's a slight northern exposure. Maybe even Twin Peaks feel to it, but is that your not your bag?
5: Yeah, no, no. When, once it actually got slightly quirky, then yeah, I was beginning to sort of think, oh, that's interesting. You know, okay. there were a few slightly strange things happening. That's when I began to get interest. But a bloke on a train going somewhere, and you know, yeah. walking through, and how many yards it was to yeah. get me is. You know I'm
0: afraid right. you <laughs> I don't, don't care really? you don't just don't care how long it is how far <laughs> it is to good news <laughs>
5: it
0: wasn't that so. yes a sort of 70s crooner thing isn't it how far is it a good news what did you think jack
4: i was on a program uh, when the first one came in and i actually had uh, an email exchange with the writer because uh really? i was very harsh yeah i was I was very harsh when it first came on, Hmm. and I said, you know, I, I, I... I really said i didn't like it you know and i felt really guilty afterward for not saying anything positive about it and so i went through kate and emailed the guy and said look i apologize for just being negative you know there were good things about it but anyway <laughs> that's the backstory. <laughs> uh what do i think i've got to say that's the most now? extraordinary
0: coincidence i mean you know people are going to say that we, we sort of fix this especially of course it's absolutely not the case but, you know, no. uh, coincidences like that happen all, all the time on this show, actually. So, are you are you morally compromised now? Can you not say anything uh, critical about this, then, Jack?
4: No, I will. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's within the framework of I think it's much better. I honestly think it's much better. And I, I get everything that Ali's saying about it. Uh, it's more direct than last time, actually, mm. even though it doesn't seem it now. Mm. I think the you know okay it's it's really weird and peter you know if somebody's trying to write a literary novel right then either it will be one of the hundred that doesn't sell any or the thousand that doesn't sell any or it will be really appreciated and do quite well and it's really hard to decide which it's going to be but Hmm. it doesn't start off being commercial the text is full of cleverness Mm. You know all the you know the little things mm. and which some people really enjoy. You know? I enjoy it, it actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, but there is the point though. If you're going to do a Twin Peaks, I can't remember the first scene in Twin Peaks, but it was full of shock and horror and murder and things happening. It, it was. I think it was a body, weird, wasn't it? As hell. It was a, a <laughs> cling wrap body.
0: I think. I think it was.
4: Yeah. Mm. So it might have been weird and gone off on tangents, but it gripped gripped the audience. And this doesn't yeah. yet. Yeah, What's yeah. the hook in this? Why should people keep reading? I think there's, I, I think there's really something there, but he has to get the hook. Yeah. You know, the cleverness is great, but you know, it's like fluffery on top, and the kind of heart is missing.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's beautifully put, actually. And I, I don't think Jeff is going to uh, hound you down to the ends of the earth for saying <laughs> that. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> is that why you had to move? Actually, no. Um, so. <laughs> um, at the moment, this it feels to me in in overview. And obviously, we only get a partial sort of overview. But this is the beginning and uh, blurb. It feels more like a short story um i don't know that the resolution is exciting enough one or two people have said that in in the in the genius room paint the moon i mean if i haven't i nearly swore actually you know what it's, it's an x-rated show in any case today because i haven't know that because i've seen some of the sort of submissions coming later so we can f-bomb if we want to we are going to get demonetized <laughs> and what oh. anyway i won't be the first one to But, um, you know, we've got got Elon Musk, who's busy stealing our our stars now. I mean, your children will not see the night sky the same way as as you have done, because Elon Musk wants to put 20 million satellites in orbit. And, you know, I mean, it seems like every day something even more surreal happens like that. So painting the moon, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm sure somebody will. Coca-Cola, probably i don't know it's just it's got that slight it doesn't feel big enough
4: it, yet actually it doesn't have the tension does it there's no, no kind of pulse no. to it yeah it, you know it is really well written yeah but it doesn't have that pull that drama yeah. That
0: yeah. yeah 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 exactly jack press your vote button please oh, ali sorry. has voted fantastic uh, at the moment it's only you've only given it a 40 which is what two stars isn't it uh care to comment on that one in terms of commercial appeal you don't see the commercial appeal right now is that right
4: for the bang hey, me? Oh, yeah
0: yeah bang yeah
5: ali i it just didn't grab me by the throat it right. um, and the blurb know. i mean yeah. the, the whole concept yeah. is he doesn't want the moon painted white you know, yeah. it, it's quirky, but it doesn't grab yeah, it me. I'm doesn't not sort what of, of thinking, ooh, I must, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, it does make you ask the question of why and, and how, yeah. how. How are you going to do that? Um, yeah. But it didn't grab my mother's throat and lead me. And, and unfortunately, the text didn't didn't also, you know, grab me. I, I felt it yeah. was, you know, not gripping enough, really, to, yeah. to lead so me. So actually, you're, you're being fight.
0: kind, and fact, are you, by giving it two stars on the commercial appeal? Because you, you don't see the commercial appeal, really.
5: in terms
0: of the bang yeah yeah um yeah i mean i, okay. I think the answer is could be you know yeah. it could be yeah. tidied up and fair a bit enough. more work fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. <laughs> um let's just see what the chat room wasn't the four hundred words I so, so not much time to grab is that's true i'm not sure why that was and he says twin Peak starts the discovery of laura palmer wrapped in plastic i think that's true too and andy says bless you jack Bless you, Jack. So let's just see if everyone has voted. Have they? Yeah, we've got we got an overall fifty nine there, which is not bad at all, Jeff. Um, I'm, can I just give you my obligatory warning about uh, literary fiction? Um, it's going to be very hard to get to get anything that's literary fiction published unless you already happen to be a big name somewhere else, or you've already you know built up um, a, um, a a readership uh, prepared to buy you know a few thousand copies of what you do. It's very very hard to, to break in there. Um, and I I you know I I always say let other people call your work literary, but you know write to a, a a a genre that's not literary fiction because it is it, so broad as to mean almost nothing actually so you know I, I would re-examine the the readership of this if i were you and i, I would move it away from literary fiction to well I don't, we don't really know the the final denouement so we're not too sure really but i think there's i think that would be good advice Oh, no. No. We can't do this again. No. 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 Go.
4: <laughs>
0: oh, no honestly, they, they've hijacked this show, Barbara and Johnny. They're You're taking
4: commission, aren't you? I know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah. A priority, solution,
7: click. priority. <laughs> dot com.
0: Oh, my God. Right. Here we go. We are on to <laughs> submission number three today. You can tell this isn't rehearsed, can't you? Now, sometimes we get accused by people of rigging the whole thing. We're not that good. We're not, honestly, it's not. We're, we're not that good. Um, this is an interesting title: Cloisteria. Sci-fi humor, quite difficult to pull off. There's some Jay QR code there too. This is Jay's blurb. USC Marshall Agent Bob three eight three one has a murder to solve, and on it rests the fate of the universe. The problem is, he has little experience in detective work and no leads. The victim, a high-ranking public figure on cloisteria, a planet for the elite, has a hole in his head the size of a peach. And if Bob can't solve the crime, the consequences are unthinkable. He'll miss brunch, for one. As time ticks down, John must grapple with his moral code and get some big choices right, or all might be lost who's john no it's not oh no he's not johnny again oh no no they wouldn't do that they wouldn't do that but i'm I'm a bit lost there now john and bob okay all will be revealed i'm sure let me tell you about the author uh jay is from lancashire in the uk although he was allegedly recently seen wrestling with a kintex leo fight in sector e now only Lex understands that, and if Lex does understand it, please uh, translate it to me. When he's not wandering around the galaxy, he's a father, a husband, a property manager, and a freelance writer. And feels there should be a joke tagged on to the end of that sentence, but there isn't, which makes him doubt his comedy writing abilities. Cloisteria will be the second book in the Galaxy Marshalls series. And keeping the earth uh, safe from the scum of the universe, maybe? Uh, with the first in his debut novel, Zeno's Last Grain, making it to number one in five paid categories on Amazon, including Best Comic Drama and Top Slot and Absurdist Fiction. I didn't know there was a category called Absurdist Fiction, but my life has improved just that little bit by knowing it. Jay's comfortable talking about himself in the third person and does so on a daily basis. You want to keep that in check, I think, Jay. And we're going to unleash on you right now, then wonderful reading by Martin.
3: Closteria by J. Gaskill read by Martin. Prologue. When the end came, it was nothing like Furoi Frisand VIII had expected his death to be like. In the hundreds of times he had imagined it throughout his life, it had never gone down quite like this. This was new, He'd been watching two drag queens facing off against each other in a squalid amphitheatre getting jerked off by their coxswain drag king partners. It was all very confusing and that was the point, to distract. The VR spectacle had been going on like this for nine three-minute rounds now but Furoi wasn't much interested. He didn't have enough money to place a bet and he hadn't gotten hard in years. Sadly though, had nothing better to do, and to make matters worse, the program suddenly seemed to glitch. When you die in VR, you see, from a brain injury at least, for a nanosecond or two, it feels as if the software is malfunctioning. This annoyed Furai, enough for his teeth and lips to form the sh of shitty before his noggin closed for business completely. Furai was 77 years old, Not old at all by Closterian standards, the average life expectancy on Closteria being 142. But dead he was, deader than paper books. A cure for ageing had been found centuries ago, back on Earth. Something about telomere restoration, but this led to people just sitting around, no longer in a hurry to do anything. It was a disaster. Society began to fall apart, and people died anyway. starvation and dehydration and boredom. So laws were created on the United States of Earth (USE) to outlaw such anti-aging tech wizardry. Ironically most people on Closteria all continued to sit around doing nothing anyway due to them being stinking unfathomably rich. This was one of the sundry reasons why the proud people of Closteria wanted independence from the US of E to revoke such laws so that they could use these technologies and live longer. Furoi, however, was not rich. He had been. You can't gain residence on Clisteria without a landfill of credit, but things had gotten out of hand. In the past couple of years, he'd become addicted to betting on VR emission racing, ER, a merging of sport and pornography that had grown popular in recent years. In the past few months, he'd blown several generations of accumulated wealth on the J-King of Ogeku, his favourite ER athlete. But that didn't matter now. It didn't matter because he had a hole in the, his head the size of a peach. That sort of thing can really put money problems into perspective. Despite being dead, Resand the VIII remained in a standing position held in place by numerous VR safety straps and belts on top of a unidirectional moving floor panel in one of his many bedrooms. The whole residence a sizeable duplex covered by a vast impenetrable glass dome acting as an external wall and roof. Apart from the hein- harness, Furroy wore nothing except for a purple silk cardigan, which was several sizes too small for him and wouldn't even fit if he weren't overweight. As instructed prior to the peach-shaped hole being made, an AI ro- service robot with humanoid features called Kit was still tickling Furoi's dead feet with a feather duster. There'd been no order to cease. Kit wasn't quite sure what to make of the whole thing and preferred instead to concentrate on his assigned task. His master had been very clear that Kit must not stop the tickling, no matter what, and Kit hated to disappoint. A figure stood behind Furoy, breathing heavily, carefully surveying the scene. Goodbye, Furoy," they said, before opening up a panel on the AI bot erasing its memory banks and shutting it down. So,
0: everyone, um, including Microsoft, are trying to screw us up today. I'm so sorry about that. As you can see, Microsoft d- desperately think we should be updating things during our live show. Thank you, Microsoft. Um, and I do apologise for my... Um, I pressed the wrong friggin' button, actually, uh, during that, so... Oh, dear, let's let's go straight to, to uh, Jack for some sanity on this.
4: Uh, Okay, Uh, where do I start? I zoned out, I have to admit. Uh, Three quarters of the way through, I zoned out. What got me back was when Kit uh, stopped the tickling. (laughs) I thought, hey, what's going on here? Yes. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and, And there's a point to that, though. You know, people are interested in people. And people are interested in what people do and how they do it. And, you know, this big, you know description of the future world and so on i think there's i think somebody said i've seen it flash up there's a comic voice and i think it is you know i, I think it is really amusing and it's really relaxing <laughs> to me to listen to it but it did not grip me and i don't get the prologue thing maybe it's me you know maybe there's a good reason for doing it mm. the, I, the last time i've seen a prologue was actually last week on on your show and yeah. I thought there was a very good reason for doing it then because it started off with this really dramatic action scene and it was very short, very punchy and then it went into the main story and it left you thinking, well, how the hell did we get to there? You know, where the prologue said we're going to be in however yeah. many, you know, chapters or at the end of the book or wherever. This prologue is just a world-building scenario, wasn't it? The, yeah, the there's information
0: it? you need to know before you read this book.
4: Which yeah, is start with the tickling give us the information you know as it builds up the tickling the voice is funny engage the reader from the first few paragraphs yeah. and give them all the information as they're moving through the story
0: yeah oh, i think you're spot on you're, you're on fire today actually so vagabond says lots of explaining and lex um uh, has come back so i asked him what he thought actually because i know he loves this kind of genre he says M- uh, it's a much edgier humor than the blurb described which is good uh and now we was past some extremely interesting high concepts uh what happens when humans stop aging and into an un- info dump which is exactly what I was just saying i'm very sorry but this has switched me off oh dear ali
5: and I kind of felt as, as having a ride on the back of a butterfly. We seemed to be sort of flipping along here and then flipping to somewhere else and, and then we were somewhere else again. Um, and, then, yeah, I mean, there was certainly a lot of, of info dump as it were um and um there, there's some beautiful flashes of humor but they mm. they almost got sort of buried and, and in some ways that's kind of fun you know you're reading something and suddenly you're kind of hit between the eyes by something that's actually just frankly funny and you oh yeah um but but i it, you know we were flipping so much i really found it quite difficult to know where we were going. And the other thing is the the business about aging and everybody dying of destruction. I don't know, death and disease or whatever. You know, it kind of felt like a moral moral dump. You know, <laughs> don't bother yeah. with him. <laughs> you know, it, it did feel like a moral. Yeah, lecture. it's not a rib tickler. Really to do yeah. in the middle of this. Um, and a lot of the extraneous detail, I mean, detail should either, you know, advance the story, or it should be funny, or it should, you know, add a flash of colour to, to the picture so we can see something a little better. And an awful lot of the details seem to just be there for the sake of just being there, maybe because the yeah. author could see it in their head and thought we ought to see it oh, too. I think
0: that's right. I think that's absolutely um, right. Yeah. I feel a bit of... <laughs> yeah. A bit of
5: pruning <laughs> a bit of
0: making it a little clearer would be so would be this this is a high wire act isn't it um, what we're trying to do here what uh, jay is trying to do is very 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 challenging indeed I mean, he's got to combine sci-fi with humor and in order to get a decent book deal he's got to get the majority of people in that room in the commissioning meeting saying yeah I, I quite like that i may not be a natural you know reader of this job but i can actually yeah i can see what if are going to get out of it that's very challenging actually um my feeling i mean let's what what what's the best advice we can give guys to to join this i mean my my what i'll throw into the pot is go i would say go batshit crazy actually go, just you know don't, don't dump info on us just take us straight in to a totally wild ride whatever's going on in in your strange brain yeah. get it out there on the page and that will give us lots of voice lots and lots of voice and i think i think something like this depends on a unique and very engaging voice that's that's my my feeling can anyone add to that or maybe contradict
4: no i think that's fine and it's, look, take us through the story you know in as absurd a way as you like but then yeah. build the world around that but yeah but i do think it was very good voice you know i have to say i really enjoyed that part of it
0: good excellent I, fantastic sort
5: of flashes of color yeah, you know flashes of color rather than trying to do a bit too much detail yeah. and yeah. let the humor come
0: through a bit better that's you know, got to do it that yeah. was definite humor good yeah. humor yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay we're looking so far uh ali you haven't pressed your numbers
5: i'm oh, well. doing it
0: i'm doing it I, i've got to nag you it's my
5: job um, we're voting against myself against my better judgment i've just voted Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, stick her. around.
0: Yeah. Stick around for a minute or two. For a second or two. There we go. There we go. Oh look! Now then, that's that is interesting. Why? I, yes, I, I need you to explain mm-hmm. that. So you, you've gone very high in the commercial potential. you have given the 80%. Why?
5: Just because I think you know uh, there probably could be. Well, if, if it was done pro- not properly, that sounds It properly, that's it okay. More comprehensively. <laughs> Because, you know, at the end of it, you don't read something. You really have yeah. to concentrate on unless it, unless it is Shakespeare yeah. or whatever. Um, so it needs to be done in something that, that's easily absorbable and you know where you're going with it. Yeah. But I think as a concept, it could be it could be very good. It could be very good. interesting.
0: Good. All right. Um, All right. All right. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. Of that confusing,
5: which I didn't... <laughs> totally about.
0: understand <laughs> totally understand so we think at 55 so far that could go up or down a little bit um in the next few moments before we go into our next submission i desperately want to catch up with jack um there's a lot happening for you at the moment jack let me just show uh one or two people one or two things here we go that's your publisher orthodox press um there's, there's a very handsome guy on the left hand side there
4: <laughs> Does he look a bit younger, Ben?
0: <laughs> well, he's probably on the hormone pills. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's where we find your books. Um, this is where we find your... You've got a multi-presence on the internet. This is where we you find your blog and all kinds of interesting stuff there. Actually, I had to restrain myself from um, from not getting too lost in that today. But it's a lot of show prep to do. And this is something you've just contributed to, isn't it? Tell us about that
4: yeah it's uh 20 years after the good friday agreements uh, which brought uh, an end to the violence uh, mm. in northern ireland and uh, there was a book at that time on the meaning of being irish and this is the daughter of the guy who did that original one oh, and right. she's she's put together 101 uh, contributions on what it means to be Irish. But what she's done is quite good, I think, in that she's taken from everyone, you know, politicians, uh, you know, writers, artists, normal people, musicians, everyone. And from around the world, not just in Ireland itself. Huh. And so it's a real kind of snapshot in time of literally what it means Mm. to be Irish. Is is it
0: changing? Is that definition changing, do you think, or is it just so idiosyncratic?
4: Absolutely. No, no, Mm. it's absolutely changing Mm. uh, rapidly. And I think, you know, the book uh, conveys that. Most of the contributors, you will see, you know, if you read it, their definition of being Irish has changed from when they were kids or when they were younger to now. That's how quickly it's changing. Mm. And I think in a positive and a good way, uh, yeah, but you know, people, it's a really interesting uh, contribution to the conversation about what's going on in Ireland. And so you've got a lot of Britain identities.
0: You've got a lot of identities. Do you identify as Scouser? Do you identify as Irish? Do you, are you do you, as 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 me a little bit? Identify as Giza.
4: <laughs> uh I don't know it's kind of fluid it's in flux. Now yeah. th- the point is that why do we have to contain ourselves in any one is the first thing and you know it's a it's yeah. a constant question, isn't it? You know, who are we? Is the country I'm in? Does that represent my values? Should my values be aligned with the country? What What the hell is that about, you know?
0: That's a really good question. I think that's a very profound question for our time, actually. I think a lot of people are starting to wonder about that
4: and uh, to be honest that's what my my books explore you know i was Mm. born in liverpool from irish background Mm. and it's that back and forward between the uk and ireland the community the politics the military struggle you know how did we get to where we are now which is actually in quite a good place from such a difficult place before
0: yeah yeah brilliant um i want to say i want to get hold of that when is it out now
4: yeah it was published in october so it should be available okay. i'm definitely going to get, get a copy get your books
0: yeah uh well um, the easy way is amazon of course but i feel slightly dirty when i do that um yep. and what what have you got coming up soon
4: uh i've got my next book coming out in march next year okay uh, it's Called Across the Water, be published by Northodox Orthodox again, uh, and it's a crime uh, thriller set between Liverpool and Ireland from 1975 up to the 2000s, 2010, wow. Wow. I think.
0: Wow! Brilliant, excellent. But we'll see you before before then, obviously, because that's coming out in March.
4: Let's uh, let's
0: look at the numbers. All right, so we've got two submissions to go. I mean, we've definitely got our first submission of the day. The Haunted Shore Supernatural Mystery by SR is definitely leading. But we do have two more submissions, and this is number four. It's called Funeral Crashes, Inc. Funeral Crashes. Do I like that title? I do like that title. Funeral Crashes. I know exactly what the book's about. <gasps> How nice. Crime fiction, dark humour. doesn't surprise me. It's from Michelle Houlihan. This is Michelle's blurb. Painless pensioners, million Clara. Crash funerals. What's not to like about that? I love it. Great concept. Don't need to say any more, really. Oh, yeah, but there is more. What's not to like about a funeral? Free food, drink. Mostly people who smell nice. And unlike weddings, there's no need for invitations or gifts. But when they end up at the funeral of a known wife abuser everything changes with their own tragic pasts as abused women licking at their heels they decide they won't just be crushing funerals from now on they'll be generating a few the clientele abusers of course okay (laughs) i wonder where this is gonna go i'm back says michelle (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm extremely excited to get latopians honest and valuable feedback thanks to latopians says michelle one of my early submissions on the show has now been considered for publication good that's our aim i'm delighted of course it's far from a done deal but it has meant the world to me hope you enjoy i can tell you something we will enjoy the reading from emily
7: funeral crashers by michelle read by emily one Seventy-year-old Millie leaned into the coffin and felt her wig slide forward. Tweaking it back into place, she offered the dead man, cocooned in pearl satin, an acidic glare. This was not her favourite part, open casket, and when she could, she kept her eyes closed. But Basil's wife had splashed out big on his funeral, a full catering from Cosmos. So she took a long look at his face, eternally frozen in the look of someone trying to lick piss off a thistle, then whispered under her breath, I absolutely love Cosmos quince canopies. On the other hand, 67-year-old Clara loved an open casket and paused over the bloated, cheesecake-coloured basil a little too long until Millie stabbed at her side with a firm finger. People are feckin' lookin'. All right, don't get your Allens in a twist, she whispered, turning away from the casket, only to be assaulted by the sour breath of an equally dead-looking man breathing down on her neck. Sandra, the man chirped, How long's it been? No, Clara said bleakly, rolling her eyes, but quickly reconsidered. If someone else thought they recognised her, it might save them from the usual awkward moments when they were asked, How did you know the deceased? While they did their research, the obituary school and work records, things could get awkward, especially at the swankier funerals, where everyone had their nose up each other's arse. I can be a Sandra for a day, she decided. It's been far too long. Two. The next morning was like every other at 77 Brightside Road. Grim. There was nothing bright about the cold, cramped flat Millie and Clara shared in Rockfall Bay. By the time they were sat having their first cup of tea, like a dog with two tails, Clara was back at it. The open newspaper sprawled across the table, blissfully finger-reading the first obituary of the day. Ooh, this looks a good one, she then read aloud. Larry Pike, loving son, father, grandfather, great-grandfather of... She went silent as she read the list. More than three dozen family members were listed under, survived by. Looks like he was predeceased by his wife of thirty-nine years, Jean Pike, she said a little too excitingly. Who? Millie said, licking biscuit crumbs off her lips. Larry Pike, Saturday, Wetley, and is a catered wake at the Blue Hog. Millie groaned and reclined. Worry registered on her face with a tick in her jaw, and her fingers tarantula tapped at the table. What now? Sounds perfect, Miss Fussy Tits. Noisy pub, big family. It's not that. What? Larry Pike, you don't remember? No. The Refuge. Remember that woman, Jean? There were lots of women named Jean over the years, and besides, most of us never used our real names. I know, but one night she was sat on the back steps of the church and I heard her on her phone, upset-like, said something like, Grow up and make your own goddamn tea, Larry Pike. And the next week she showed up with a thunderstorm of bruises on her face. It's him. We don't know that for sure. what difference does it make? They're both, she let the sentence die, dead. And that's okay with you? Go to a man's funeral who used his wife's face as a door knocker until she went to the secret refuge meetings. Not for me. I bet she would have well paid someone to finish him off years earlier. Millie's whiplash mood was now in full steam as a shudder slid down her spine, her mind suddenly regurgitating a flash memory, his large shovel-like hands at the back of her neck, the sour gas leaching up her nose, the blue pilot light flickering in time with a rapid heartbeat. She jumped up, nearly spilling her tea, then hurried from the room. Clara knew why. She sat back in her chair, sighed heavily, then leaned into the table, Larry Pike's long, three-column obituary now glaring back at her wonderful father grandfather war veteran volunteer and clara reckoned bloody wife beater needed to be at it
0: all right so a uh, pretty good reaction there actually from the genius room hannah says i would buy this that's the best you can do i would buy this uh and vagabond says you know it's good when you want to be standing behind these characters in the supermarket queue listening in on their gossip i wonder what um you make of this, Ali. I'm getting an Owen Wilson-Vince Vaughan sort of vibe of it.
5: No, I, I enjoyed it. And I think the other thing is we always get the advantage of having a blurb before we read it, and I don't always do that with a normal book. I just start reading. Yeah. Um, but I felt I very much got into the setup without needing a blurb to kind of point me in the right direction. And and clearly, I mean, even in 700 words, we have a good idea where the plot is going. I, I like the fact that we set off in such an unlikely place and, you know, with the the you know the wig and the open casket and you know the canapes and all the rest of it um i thought there are a few too many words and and i wasn't quite sure no it sounds odd. mentally which one of them to latch onto? you kind of feel one of them should be the main character yeah who am i really trying to connect um so i would have been that would clarity would have been better um and so we set off really well and we set off the funeral and it was funny And then we ended up with really a conversation that was actually an info dump, you know, the whole business about the beta. So, you know, whether that could have been done as better, flashbacks of the beta, or, you know, rather than this long winding conversation to get to the point that, you know, this is probably... And that, I mean, it is an important conversation because in theory, that's the premise of the whole thing sets off, you know. Mm. But they might have, I don't know, it just felt very long and very convoluted to get to where we were going.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to raise a specter with you about and something that I just, a little cloud went through my mind there. Is it okay to have humour about uh, domestic abuse?
5: Um, I think the answer is probably yes, in that, I mean, humour, situational humour is, is kind of, uh, can raise issues. It can yeah. make a subject digestible and readable and and raises a conversation so i think you know it's not a funny subject death's not a particularly funny subject you know there's an awful lot of things in life which are not particularly funny but i think if you can make it a bit more digestible and as i say raise a conversation yeah i think that probably makes it permissible yeah and uh,
0: michelle has positioned this as dark humor so that's a bit of darkness what did you think Mm -hmm. there jack
4: i loved it and <clears throat> it was really good so was fantastic <laughs> i'll give it full marks look at that look at that it just came out oh. when you said it oh my
0: goodness <laughs> oh, i don't think we've ever had that before hundreds all round that's I know, stunningly I good about it,
4: i thought maybe i can't give it full marks because I, because craft for example you don't know how the story develops where it goes but we're judging it on what's submitted and yeah. on what's submitted you know, I I, I wouldn't falter. I didn't falter. I thought the characters' voices were great. You know, the 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 first few lines are brilliant. The wig slipping as she leans over the coffin. You know, about yeah. to drop in. Yeah. You could see you could see everything. And that's I think what adds to it for me is it was funny. I think the reading was brilliant. The accent suited the the narrator. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how, but that worked really well. Uh, but, uh sorry, the other thing was this thing, of the domestic violence. It gives it a real mm. punch, t- sorry to use that <laughs> phrase. Oh, God, oh, it God. Does. <laughs> no, but uh, it does because it's a serious issue. They're dealing yeah. with it. I'm sure they will deal with it seriously, and mm. they will show, you know, the horror and all the rest of it that's attached to it. But mm. they're doing it in a really approachable way, you know, no. not standing, yeah. you know, yeah. not you know not this moral crusade It's yeah. presented as you know read this you will laugh you'll enjoy it, and you'll also yeah. learn quite a lot i would say
0: good fair enough yeah can't can't disagree with that let's look at the um the numbers on that oh ho, ho, ho. that's mostly you jack Byrne. look at that 87 Sorry. 87 i think that's the highest score we've ever had on pop-ups that's extraordinary um Oh, what's, I, mean, I don't I, know what
4: else to do, you know, if yeah. you, I mean, I've, I've been hard on stuff in the past, oh, yeah. and I really like this, and so yeah. go for it. Yeah,
0: know? good, okay, well, I mean, I think everyone's spoken, actually, let's see if the final comments on the genius room. The reading was strange, it was actually, Andy, it absolutely was. Four for the blurb, says Hannah, five for the rest, and I think that's largely reflected in the, the rest of the genii there. Uh, and johnny says the wig got me from the off uh, let's just look again yeah, at no, those no, numbers because that is you won't see that every sunday on pop-ups i can tell you that you absolutely won't it feels incredibly commercial to me i'd be astounded yeah. if, if a, a good deal is not on the offing for that but we do have one more submission same. <laughs> yes we do and who knows i mean things could just get very strange indeed, because this is one last dirty trick. It's a political thriller. So I don't know, um, uh, Jack. I think you're with us live at the moment. I don't know how we we got the um, the genre wrong. We did it somehow, somewhere. I've seen that too. I know. I know we did get that wrong, um, but it's been corrected now. It's definitely a political thriller. It's by Jack, and this is Jack's blurb: "The trade unions are toothless." The PM boasts in a televised speech. Yeah, the hardline leader of a new union of power, gas and water workers, is already plotting to wreck the UK economy with strikes in key industries. Rumours of the plot surface. Government fixer Vernon Fletcher, sent to investigate, has to deal with treachery as well as attempts to silence him. When he stumbles on a conspiracy more far reaching than a few labour disputes, he realises. That democracy itself is in peril. Let me tell you about Jack. Uh, I think it's with us at the moment. I'll check in a moment. Uh, I'm not a professional writer, says Jack, but I have had several books published over the years. All fiction. I live by the sea in South Wales and travel a lot, especially within Europe. When you can, I think. When you can. I've tried writing sitcoms, but so far without success. Too funny for the BBC. Tastes probably. Quite possibly, actually, yes. Aside from writing, I run a bike business, which takes up most of my time. Maybe one day I'll write a memoir about it. Meanwhile, fiction is my forte, though. Peter, (laughs) it's me. And today's other critics, that's them, um, may have a different view. (laughs) Right, all right, put your dukes up. Um, And uh, the transubstantiated Ally is not only with us live, she's also going to give you a brilliant reading.
5: One Last Dirty Trick by Jack, read by Alison. The day after I slipped him £10,000 in polymer fifties, Eric Crowther went and made a fine mess on the pavement outside the front door of the Hilton in Park Lane. It was a sunny, balmy late September morning, officially autumn, the sort of morning that elevates your spirits and kicks your cares and woes into touch. Poor old Crowther's cares and woes were manifestly immune to sun and balm, and he made the point by taking a running jump through a window of the Hilton's top floor. Which happens to be about thirty floors above the street level? R.I.P. Eric Crowther. I pitched up about an hour after the event. I left my flashy silver Bentley Continental in a side street on a double yellow line, my windscreen path shielding me from harassment by traffic wardens. The immediate area had been cordoned off and was swarming with scene of the crime suits. An ambulance was present, blue beacon pulsing. Also in force was the Ghoul contingent. Several upstanding sightseers were busy capturing the occasion on their smartphones. Souvenir snaps for the family album? With a Covid-19 emergency on the back foot, few face masks were in evidence. I was carrying a couple of the disposable kind, but they stayed in my pocket. The only representatives of the press were Bill Milligan from the Mail and Devlin Nabuto from the Times. The rest of the vultures were sure to join the feast before long. It's not every day a trade union vice-president takes the high dive. "'Abuto lobbed me a nod. "'Hi, V. I "'I returned his greeting, inquired about his state of health. "'Can't grumble.' "'Before flipping my B.E.I.S. pass "'at a helmeted constable, "'who was guarding a corner of the taped-off area. "'He looked about sixteen, "'with a crop of pimples on cheeks and chin. "'Department of Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy,' "'he read off the card, "'stumbling over the longer words. "'That's me.' Less than impressed, he stood aside anyway. As I stooped under the tape, a uniformed inspector came bustling up and ordered me to get the hell out of it. I produced my magic pass again. He stared at it, tried a bit of bluster, then subsided into a grimace of resignation. Standard reaction. ''Do you want to take a closer look, Mr. Fletcher?'' he asked, almost deferential now, drawing me into the circle of plainclothes detectives and forensic experts wasn't keen on any look, close or distance, but I felt professionally obligated to share the unpleasantness. It was well I have a cast-iron stomach, because Crowther's remains, now revealed to me behind the white plastic screen, were not appetising to behold. He'd burst open like a dropped carton of juice, multi-hued juice, red predominating. His clothes had mercifully contained the worst of it, but his head was a congealed placenta of blood, bone and grey matter. He must have landed on it, a true header. All we'd heard was he'd had an accident, I mumbled to the inspector, salivating to keep my breakfast down. What's the I's interest? Frowning as he spoke, oh, just keeping our records up to date. I adopted the whinging tone of an office gopher, forever landed with the distasteful jobs. They don't tell me anything. Two paramedics set about stuffing the remains into a body bag for the ride to the mortuary. From somewhere a hose appeared, and the clean-up was underway. A collective sigh arose from the ghouls. They were already dispersing. The entertainment was over. "'I'll be off, then,' I told the inspector. He was issuing orders to a burly sergeant and didn't respond, so I tapped him on the shoulder. "'Thanks for your help.' "'My pleasure, Mr... Uh... Already he'd forgotten my name. In my peculiar line of business, anonymity was worth its weight in syllables. I left them to their grisly task, and, since I no longer felt like a stint at the office, I piloted the Bentley, an anniversary gift from a wife with an excess of independent means, down Park Lane, jostled with the dodgems on the Hyde Park Corner roundabout, and wafted along Knightsbridge, homeward bound
0: so we happen to have the narrator in the building right now the one and only ali whose voice graces so many of our shows and we're so grateful very, and even more grateful i actually see you occasionally um so it's got it uh, that for me had a very 80s feel um both in subject matter and the way it was treated sort of a sort of Le Carre sort of thing w- what did you think because you read it and you've you got inside it
5: I enjoyed it very much. It was it was confident, smooth writing. There weren't sometimes when you're reading there, there are quite a lot of glitches that you have to overcome, as it were. And this one didn't feel difficult to read as it were. I like the fact that it, it clearly went straight into the action. You very much had a sense of place of what was happening, certainly who the main character was, um, and I felt the details appropriate. It, it very much got you into the situation, you know, the policeman being about 16 and, you know, the blue flashing light. There wasn't too much dump, as it were, but it did get you into wh- where we were going. Um, there were some lovely phrases like anonymity being worth its weight in syllables, you know, which is, you, <laughs> you know, um, so, so I enjoyed it. I thought it was well written.
0: Good. Excellent. Jack.
4: Yeah, I thought it was well written, confident, accomplished, you know, it was, it was good. Uh, I, I, for me, just maybe a little less commentary, a little more of the action, uh, but it was intriguing. It was, you know, I think it would keep me reading. It was certainly well presented, you know. My big issue, if you like, would be with the blurb. Uh, I, I think the blurb could put people off, I think what you have oh, to do it has done is in the, concentrate.
0: In the room, yeah,
4: yeah, you have to concentrate on the mystery, and hopefully, the you know if you. You have to present the mystery and wrap the politics around the mystery. I mean, otherwise, you know, people will read it as, uh, you know, a history, not a mystery, or politics and not a drama. And, you know, if people want to know the threats of democracy, there's lots of commentary out there and books that they can <laughs> buy and debates that they can engage in. But, hmm. you know, they're, they're buying a novel. But I think, it, you know, it can be really good, that mix of, you know, social questions and... Drama, if it's done well, I think it can be really good really powerful. But the presentation in the blurb is a bit overdone, I think, and would put people off.
0: Do you think it feels a
4: a great premise?
0: Do you think it feels a bit, um, last century?
4: Yeah, a little bit, yeah, because that's not really what the zeitgeist is,
0: yeah, yeah.
4: I mean, the subject matter, you know, the trade unions and stuff, I think you would have to update it. You know, if you want it in today's market, you'd have to talk about gig workers and zero hour contracts and, you know, people being self-employed to do any kind of job and no permanent jobs existing anymore. So it's not so much the the moths of trade unions against the government. That's definitely last century. It's much more kind of broken up in terms of, you know, struggles taking place today.
0: i'm not sure if this was um it doesn't say in the blurb actually um and i'm not sure if this was actually supposed to be a bit historical it's definitely got that feeling to me i mean i, I i've got to say actually uh, talking to to jack h not not our, our jack on the screen i've got to say i really like your voice actually a number of people in the yeah. generous room said that too i think you can do it you know it's just you've got a very nice conversational style and that's and people engage with that um i'm i'm less than sold on the commercial potential let's look at the numbers uh 48 so far but jack has not pressed his button
4: it's on its way it's
0: on its way that's what he always says it's on his way (laughs) don't be impatient he
4: has arrived he has now and you
0: got a 62 which is actually incredibly respectable jack um i'm not sure about you know it's this thing that i i say almost every show every other show uh one of the, the key questions that publishers ask when um you show them something new is okay yeah right fine i can see this but why now why now and i will be struggling to answer that why now other than actually there's a lot of escapism going on you know people are reading pg woodhouse and all the rest of it johnny um so there's a lot of escapist reading is this escapist reading i don't quite think so so what's the what's the relevance now you've got to give me a reason for you know for this book being the book the publishers need to publish now uh and i'm not convinced that that is the wrong but i am convinced you can deliver some good words actually so now we need to look at the overall score i think it's pretty clear isn't it good grief talk about walking it oh my goodness me i mean everyone's got a a, a decent score tonight everybody has but michelle the i mean goodness me (laughs) Kingly good it happens so rarely you've got universal praise from our two fabulous guests Ali and Jack Byrne um, almost certainly from everyone else actually behind the scenes Kate, Rachel, Emily all our narrators um, so I don't know how that's going to be beaten actually but it could be it could be next week why don't you join us then and see
4: hit it that's what I'm talking about
1: wait
0: okay now from the beginning.
1: Hit
6: it,
0: boys. All
2: you're with the suits and ties, Just sitting in the crowd smoking big cigars I hope you're ready for what's coming now I'm the one, on the lady that bring it down
1: There's a joint on the corner where the big boys play Where the whiskey's running like a river But they all never come for the booze and bass I'm the one, on
5: the lady that will this
4: place